0: Welcome to the feminist history party you've been waiting for. This is Nevertheless, She Existed. This is the podcast about the women of history who are underappreciated, overlooked, or sometimes completely forgotten about. The stories you'll hear on this podcast are recorded live in New York City at Caveat, your favorite speakeasy that gets you a little smarter and a little drunker on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Each month we do a deep dive into a
1: different topic within women's history. This month we're doing Women of the Wild West. Every episode, we will dish on a tiny corner of women's history, providing you with some framing and context. And who doesn't love framing and context? Psychopaths, that's who. We see you. Then we will introduce the feature story. One kick-ass woman from today will tell a live story about a woman from the past. We got comedians, rappers, Princeton professors raising a glass to women who should be in your history books.
0: Cheers. I'm Molly Gaby and my favorite country western song is one that goes Huh? I love that one. Uh, I think that was Tim McGraw.
1: (laughs) My name is Kylie Holloway and I like the one that goes We're like fire and gasoline. I'm no good for you and no good for me. That one or the one where Garth Brooks fucks an old lady. (laughs)
0: I'm gonna go with choice number two both classics (laughs) any song that's a man crying on a tractor love it (laughs) oh so good we love country western here this is the third episode of the women of the wild west series and as we've mentioned before The West was a decent place for ladies, right? Mm. Uh, There are worse places. Like, uh, I don't know, in an armchair next to Millard Fillmore while he's saying literally anything. Oh that
1: guy was so fucking boring. So fucking boring. God, how'd you win your election, Millard? You just talked and all the voters fell asleep on the
0: yes button? I must mention, he's a friend of the show.
1: (laughs) The West offered new opportunities for ladies, like the chance to be landowners. Under US law in the 1800s, married women were something called femme covert, which is not a spy thriller starring Jennifer Lawrence rocking sweet blunt cut bangs, But instead, a legal term for the fact that a lady couldn't do anything on her own. They couldn't sign contracts, sue, acquire property, etc. Her husband had to do it for her or with
0: her. Then, Congress passed the Donation Land Act in 1850 to promote homestead settlements in the Oregon Territory. A.K.A. get families to move there, not grimy single dudes. So the act allowed married women to own property in Oregon independently of their Grammy husbands. Think of it like a statewide ladies' night to get them in the door. Or like U.S.
1: government's version of your mom's Avon parties.
0: What is an Avon party?
1: It's like where uh, she invites all the ladies in her neighborhood over to like try makeup products. And learn how to give BJs? How dare you (laughs) in Mexico territory, Spanish, Mexican women were able to retain control of their land after marriage and held one half interest in their property. They shared with their spouses. For example, After her husband was killed in battle, Maria Rita Valdez, what a fucking name, was granted a huge tract of land that she would build into the cattle ranch, Rancho Rodeo de las Aguas. She was able to keep that land after the territory became the state of California, which made her the largest female landowner in the West Coast United States. What a fancy lady. Now Rancho Rodeo is now known as the hub of fancy ladies in Los Angeles. It's Beverly Hills. Oh shit. I've heard of it. Rodeo Drive gets his name. From Rancho Rodeo. Oh, interesting. Facts. Maria Rita Valdez, a fancy bitch who paved the way for the Kardashians. I
0: hope she's happy. Kim? I know Kim's happy. Actually, I'm not sure of that. Um, that is to be seen. But this wealth of opportunity only went so far, and it did not extend to indigenous women. So let's get into that. Uh, we are going to be hearing the story of shotslaw a taggish woman involved in the discovery of gold in the Yukon, and at one point, the wealthiest native woman in the Americas. You'll be hearing more about how she survived in the face of
1: epic amounts of horse poop thrown her way. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Holloway. We said horse poop. For now, let's get a bit of context on Old Shaw. She's from the Yukon, a wild mountainous area in eastern Alaska, northwest Canada. There's a nice bite-sized chunk of human history there. The earliest settlement found by archaeologists is 7,200 years old that's old there are a dozen tribes in the region one of them is the Tagus tribe where our current lady of yore hails from so let's situate ourselves molly okay molly i meant in history don't touch your boobs
0: sorry okay <clears throat> but they do look good So, European fur traders began showing up in the 1840s, and as more white folks encroached in the area, so did their diseases, like influenza, get your shots, typhoid, and Kylie's favorite, syphilis. How dare you! I'm just assuming. You look like a syphilis gal. Mine was gonorrhea. She's a gonorrhea. (laughs) The resulting high death rate among indigenous folks resulted in a lot of widows, which royally screwed up Taggish family lines. It's a matrilineal community, but what happens when the matriarchs are the only members of the family still alive? A lot of Taggish women then married the only men who were around. The guys with the wet butts and the empty guts. Prospectors.
1: You gotta explain that one to me.
0: Okay, um, I did a bike trip across America. yeah. Humble brag. And when I was in Montana, there was an old man by a deli or a gas station. That's that's what. Mm-hmm. Uh, new york is Delhi, gas stations are everyone else and he was started showing us some dinosaur bones cool. and then he got into uh talking about prospectors and he said you know what well, we used to call them the guys with the wet butts and the empty guts wow and i was like thank you and then i sped away on my bike as fast as possible their guts were probably empty because they were gold mining in
1: montana
0: <laughs> yeah they were hungry and they had cold butts anyway that's what that is <laughs> Oh, Shout out to that man in Montana. He's definitely not alive. an
1: episode of Neverless She Existed unless we talk about a scary old man from our childhood. <laughs> <laughs> um anyways. So Married a Prospector. Yes, which is exactly what Shatala did. Uh, You're going to hear a lot more about that in Shatala's story. Let's get into the story of the Tagish, but we should note that a lot of that knowledge is skewed or inaccessible. It is absolutely wild how difficult it is to find information on specifically Indigenous women from this time period. There are limited resources on Tagish people, and even fewer resources that include Tagish people sharing and researching their own history, a.k.a. not written by white folks. The resources that are readily available are largely anthropologists approaching the study of Tagish as a bygone culture. And within that, there's very little information on women in particular and what their life was like pre- and post-white settlement. We've said it before, and we'll say it again on this show— Bitches love stats and we
0: Hate not having them I have stat blue balls Stat blue balls is a thing actual blue balls Not a thing Um, (laughs) So that brings us to a larger point right There's so much information on white Ladies who ventured west and a lot Of that is because white ladies had journals Wrote stuff down whereas taggish women Relied on oral tradition to record history Also because of racism Um, Also hashtag racism Uh, But let's do a quick dive into how we as Historians and podcasters cosplay playing as historians, often talk about indigenous folks out west. So we can start with Shatzla's story. Uh, For a long time, the only record of her was in biographies of her husband or her brother-in-law. Those stories very much follow the narrative of the rugged individual man who lived off the land, conquered the wilderness, and have wet butts.
1: (laughs) And those stories fail to include the fact that those men lived off the land with Shaw's help. Mm -hmm. There's a record of a woman named Kitty Smith who lived in the Yukon and knew Shaw. Kitty said, she did everything that woman, you know, hunts just like it's nothing. Kitty, Kitty was from the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kitty sounds like a vegetarian yeah. and Shaw sounds like a badass, but we do that. Mm-hmm. When we do hear about Shaw, she is usually referred to by her white name, Kate Carmack, which is not cool. And she's frequently softened in these stories about her. She's called fucked up things like Dusky Beauty and Silent Northern Rose and <laughs> Wife of George Carmack, oh. which is maybe worse than the other two. Yeah. If anyone called me a fucking silent rose, I'd ask them to sniff it. <laughs> Get in there, asshole. Wow. Noted. Uh, Molly I and I not... had a full fight about whether or not I could include
0: that. <laughs> I still uh. by it. So in very stark contrast, white ladies who ventured north are praised for their toughness. Like Emma Kelly, who was kind of rad. She was a journalist who traveled north to cover the gold rush for a Chicago newspaper. She was told by experienced travelers that it was too late in the year to cross the Yukon, but she went anyways and got caught in a blizzard. And honestly, that's my brand of stubborn feminism. I'm like,
1: don't tell me what to do. And then I almost died trying to do it on my own. (laughs) Oh my God, you were an insufferable teenager. Uh Uh-huh. Look for me in my futures female shirt in the
0: Avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but enough about us. Let's get back to Shaw Tla. Tally Medell celebrates her story. We're going to go dry our butts and fill our guts with like a good beer, amber ale, and
1: gruel. <laughs> but enough about us. Let's get back to Shaw Tla. You'll hear her story right after the ad
0: break. Hello, this is Molly. This is Kylie. Nevertheless, She Existed is recorded live in New York City at Caveat, your home for smart entertainment. On the Lower East Side. On the Lower East Side. We'd like
1: to invite you to come Mm -hmm. and see a damn show any night of the week. They will make you smarter and, you know, a little drunker. A lot drunker. Mm-hmm. A caveat show I'm obsessed with right now is Doctors Without Boundaries. Real life ER doctors. All right, these people actually put their hands inside of people and save lives. <laughs> I was like, I can do that first
0: part. the second part I can't do.
1: <laughs> hey. Um. These doctors' names are Andreas Malaputi and Darian Sutton, and they welcome chronically oversharing comedians to tell stories of their most intense diagnoses. Come hear them shoot the shit about STIs, drug addiction, mental health, and the weirdest and most fringe medical condition of all time being a woman <laughs> head over to caveat.nyc to see the full list of events and we will see you there by the bar i'll be drunk i'll be faced down. hey we were just drying our butts and filling our guts now get ready to hear the story of Shatla as told by tally Medell.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I get to tell you about Shakla. I got it. Okay, here's the thing. I grew up in southeast Alaska. I am really lucky that in southeast Alaska, in my town specifically, Ketchikan, there is a real... Okay, here's... Obviously... I'm not Native Alaskan. Um, I am mixed. I am half Mexican and half white, but all that got bleached out. Um, uh, sorry, um, but in Ketchikan, there is a, for me, from my perspective, there's much more of a blend of Native Alaskans than in like any other indigenous person anywhere else in the country that I've been to. In Ketchikan, Alaska, I grew up with Tlingit kids and Haida kids and Simshian kids. I don't see that anywhere else that I am. So I feel really lucky that I got to grow up with a legacy of of Native Alaskans in my city. Um, That said, I thought I was always saying the TL sound correctly. I don't know if I ever have, and I think I will never have the correct ear to know if I'm saying it right or not. I thought it was... KL, I um, I don't think that's right. I called my friend Stephen Jackson, who is a very cool artist. His dad is Nathan Jackson, who's a world famous totem carver. And uh, he was like, you know, you make the T-L sound. You hit the tongue on the side of your mouth. Um, and then it's like, I'm not going to get it right. And I don't want to do any more damage that white people have already perpetrated. So um, I think it's shot claw. I apologize in advance. She was known as Kate Carmack for a lot of her life, Um, a name that was bestowed upon her by her husband, Lion George. I call him Lion George because that was his nickname. Do we trust him? No. Nope. Okay, so it's uh, 1898. I'm gonna read directly from my notebook for a lot of this, you love me for it. I was like, God, her eyes go back down, I love that. Um, there's a big old honking boat pulling into Seattle. It's called the Roanoke. And there is one indigenous woman aboard and her name is Kate Carmack. It's not, it's But, you know, better. Um, and uh, she's in the company of her brothers and her white husband, Lying George. And they have got somewhere between 40000 and and $100,000 worth of Gold, which in today's dollars is one billion bajillion dollars, um, it's the most by far of any haul from the Klondike, and sh- she's a member of the party that's begun the Klondike Gold Rush, which tragically, unbeknownst to her, is going to completely, utterly upend her people's way of life. She is a Tagish Clinket woman. Her father is Clinket. Her mother's Tagish, in the matrilineal heritage of a lot of Southeast Alaskan and, and Yukon tribes, that's, she's going to, she's a First Nations woman, she's going to be raised Tagish. So before I tell you how much bullshit her white husband, Lion George, pulls, I do want to say this. There's this amazing photograph of her at the end of her life that I wish I had sent in first. Um, She's got her hand on a big old dog's head. She's outside of her white clapboard government housing. She is the happiest that you've seen her at any stage of her life. Way happier than these photos that they took in San Francisco when she is dripping in gold. Which like, I mean, stunning. But also like so stunning when she's like finally happy and back where she always wanted to live. So the story is going to end, not tragically, despite how tragic. Fucking lion George. Here's the thing: I never, whenever I do this show, I don't want to make it about like the things that people put these amazing women through, these these different important women through. It's not about the fucking whatever bad guys. It's about the cool ones. But unfortunately a lot of her life that we know is defined by her white husband um, because he's the one who got to tell the story. And I love that tonight on this show everyone has really made a point to highlight uh, Native Americans and First Nations people. I think that's uh, the point because westward expansion and manifest destiny is fucked up. And we need to challenge that history because our history as America is bad right it's a bad one we all know don't don't do it don't say don't celebrate thanksgiving don't do it you should fast there's also i just okay i'm so off base but there's a really cool documentary called warrior women has anybody seen it It came out last year about madonna thunderhawk okay it's really good you should check it out please i beg you it's such a good movie okay back to the story so fast. This is going to be over so soon. You'll be like, God, I want to know more. And if you want to know more, I highly recommend the book Wealth Woman. Okay. It's by Deb Vaness. She did a really great job. She is also a white woman herself, but she's got a great foreword about how she is like, she did a lot of thinking about whether or not she was the one to tell this story. I think she did a good job. I know that there's more to tell. Wealth Woman, Kate Carmack and the Klondike race for gold. Okay. Just putting it out there now great book. Should have read it with, you know, more carefully before I began this presentation for a podcast. But here we are. Okay. So, Shock Claw's husband called her Kate because fine, whatever, fuck him. He told his sister-in-law that his wife was Irish. Um, again, I call him Lion George because that's what everybody called him. That's like just your first name with the word lion in front of it. That's like if my nickname was Lying Tally. It's barely a nickname. It's a bad nickname. Um, her marriage was basically an arrangement. Uh, he was her sister's former husband. Uh, she herself had already lost her first husband, a Tlingit man, and their daughter Um, in a flu epidemic. Do we think that flu epidemic was caused by anything other than colonization? No, we don't. Um, Marriages to white prospectors could guarantee good trades, safe passage, blah, blah. So there was no way of foretelling that that way of life would change, that she never really needed to do that. They were just taking care of each other. It's a matrilineal um, line. Okay, I already talked about that, good don't worry about it. Here we go. Keep going. <laughs> keep it going. Um, here's the thing. They're inland. Yukon's pretty far inland. The, if you ever want to read about the Klinka tribe, they are like fighters. They're really fascinating. They keep the coasts like terrifyingly safe. They're an amazing, amazing history there. So there's a lot of Tagish and Clinkett intermarriage at this time in history in the late 1800s. She marries George in 1886. They have a baby girl in 1993. Her name is Grafie Gracie, G-R-A-P-H-I-E, G-R-A-C-I-E, I love it. I don't know if you pronounce it Grafie Gracie, but it's like, why not name her Grafie Gracie? You can do whatever you want. Um, lying George is bullshit. He's just fucking around like an idiot. He'd gone wall from the, he was like a Marine. And then he came to Alaska because of all these rumors of gold. Um, basically her family sort of took him in because he was, they just were, whatever. He's just, he's stupid. Um, she is raised in the Tagish tradition. There's ways of life around every season. She keeps him alive. Um, And he rewards her for sure. Um, Definitely nothing bad happens. Um, The gold discovery is very contested in her history. Sometimes it's like, oh, she discovered it. The true story, truest story that we know is that during the Klondike gold rush, it hasn't quite started yet. There is a need for logs because there's all of these miners are coming up trying to find this gold that's been rumored to be there. And so her brothers and George are trying to log to raise money. Her brother, Skookum Jim, shoots a moose, brings it upstream in Bonanza Creek to clean the moose, and that's where they find the vein of gold. True, nugs of gold. Real gold nuggets. They found such a vein. Um, And lucky for them, lying George is there to explain that Indians can't get permits. Um... Do we think that's true? No. No, it's not. Fucking lying George. Um, It's all about to get frozen is the thing. It's almost winter. So they have to still make their way through winter. Can gold be food? Uh (laughs) It's not food. Some people will try to tell you you can eat it. You can if you want, but you won't get full. So luckily they have someone there who is able to actually fucking provide. Her name is Chakra, oh, God, I hope I'm saying it right. Um, she can sew. She's an amazing seamstress, so she's able to make a lot of money, make a lot of income. I mean, other people in the household are too, but do we think Lyon George is providing anything? I don't think so. Um, so they basically, she basically, and her brothers uh, keep everybody alive through the winter. Once the thaw happens, they are ready to get the hell down south and show everybody all their gold. Um, they clean up. She's been to Dawson City, which is a cute little Yukon town. Yeah? Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I've been there, I'm not from there. That's But that's great. What's it like? Uh, it, it's kind of really broken. Like, yep. Like it would be at the time of the gold rush. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. OK. Uh And I mean, there's a lot of really cool events throughout the winter and the summer. In the winter, there's a lot of drinking. Yep. And in the spring, there's a lot of celebrating and like a dog mushing race that comes through <laughs> the town. This sounds very Northwest. <laughs> they're like, they're the hard, OK. So it's burn It has burned down several times, was what I learned from Wealth Woman. I mean, but they all, you know, sometimes you just got to burn stuff down (laughs) and start over. Um, So, shot has been to Dawson City. It's like, you know, saloons. It's fun. It's very dangerous. Seattle getting off the Roanoke is like so clean. It's such a metropolis. I have a feeling I've been talking for 30 minutes and I'm going to wrap this up. Um, it is so fun. Like they do stuff like go to their hotel roof and just throw gold off the roof. They're like having a great time. And then it's time to go to California where Lion George is from. And she loves San Francisco because she's like so cool. And, um, They have to go to San Benito where his sister Rose lives. Um, Rose, the one whom he told his wife was Irish. Um, There's crows there at least. So now that the charm of the city is sort of wearing off, Shocklaw is like, oh, that's sort of like a raven. There's groundhogs, which she geniusly shoots to cook because she's like, time to go. Um, She's just so capable, which, of course, people don't know what to do with. She's just a cool, capable woman. Are we ever rewarded? No. Always punished. Um, Also, though, poor Rose. Her brother is (laughs) obviously such a sociopath. He puts her through insane shit. She deserves her own book. She, like, is sort of a villain within... Kate, Carmack, Joclaw's story, but like, Rose also is a victim of her psycho brother. So it's time to go north again. They gotta go check up on their gold. This time they come back from the Yukon with like another $125,000 worth of gold, which in today's numbers is like 400,000 um, trillion dollars. Um, and uh, the her people, her family see that, like she has a lot of confidence because she's just sort of savvy but she's the same person because like we love her um it's time to go south again they uh, she has seen that there's some changes for instance dawson city has burned down um and uh the camps are like out of control there are so many people because of their discovery they are very famous at this point um they go south again with another on the oh. um and this is when money really starts to take a toll on their marriage they've been together at this point for like 12 years or something, and uh, which in today's numbers is um, 45 years. Um, and she um, ends up with a having to spend the night in jail uh, sort of situation uh, where she also has to pay $3.60, which in today's numbers is negative. $3.60, no big deal. But it's Republic drunkenness. She got in a fight with her brother, Skookum Jim, in a hotel. Sort of a mess. Um, and Then it's time for winter, and George goes back up to the Yukon. For some reason, we don't know why, she goes back to San Benito to be back with his sister, Rose. And uh, she's got their daughter, Gracie Gracie, she's got her niece. She waits for George, and she waits for George, and she waits for George, and she waits, and um, he's not coming back because he married a man of a brothel! Honestly, get it, Marguerite. Do what you want. Like, good for you making that money as long as you're treating your sex workers correctly and everybody's on the level. But she was a sociopath also. Um, So here's the thing. In Togish Justice, if you do me wrong, I give you the chance to fix it. If you don't fix it, I get to take back what you owe me. So she thinks that the way that the justice proceedings are going to happen, she'll at least get her due. She doesn't care that he has another wife. That's actually not like unheard of so, for, for her. So the problem is that he didn't tell her. She finds out, not even from her sister-in-law, whom he'd been writing to tell her, she finds out because this lady named Mary St. Clair comes to the house in San Benito, traveled from like Seattle or San Francisco or something. The woman with fuzzy blonde hair whom Lion George calls the fuzzy wuzzy in letters. I don't know any, Mary St. Clair (laughs) is very much a wraith. Um, But she's the one who shows up to tell Chocla, like your husband married another woman. How did he marry this other woman? Because there is no record that he ever married Chocla. Uh-oh. So unfortunately, nothing. nothing. I'm sorry. he is like, don't worry, baby. I'll make it right. Here's twenty five hundred dollars, and please leave my daughter um, and your niece uh, with my sister, and then you can go home. Isn't that awesome? Um, honestly, Lion George, like, <laughs> so cool. Um, so, <laughs> so she is convinced by Mary St. Clair, the blonde wraith, to ask for one hundred thousand dollars, or like at least her half of the sh- which is her her half of the share technically. It's, it's more. Um, and uh, she gets embroiled in a very insane, like, divorce of the decade. It is so public. It becomes this huge mess in all the papers. And George never comes back to show his face. He's such a fucking asshole. His brother-in-law dies and then, <laughs> to like, a week later tells his sister, like, um, that, I'm really sorry about that. Um, you really need to kick out Kate so she doesn't take any of my gold. And also, could you like please tell people about this new hair treatment that I've been selling where like you won't go bald if you put it on your head. <laughs> um, please keep the girls. Just send Kate away. Um, yeah, yes, he's a fuckboy. Um, she does kick out Kate, but she doesn't know that Kate Shawclaw has tons of friends. She, Kate has a reputation as being like a really cool person the she does she isn't allowed to keep a lot of her own history because she can't read or write english and so uh most of what we know about her is like what's been passed on by other family and people who she had on her side um okay so they they she has to go back to the yukon because seven months go by she's been in court proceedings it's taking forever she's like finds out that her sister is sick so they go back to the yukon um she just stays there. She's never she never gets her money from George. And years go by. Gracie Gracie is 16 years old when she gets an invitation from her father to come back to Seattle because there's this wonderful bullshit party for the Klondike Gold Rush in 1914 like the president's going to be there. So um, Grafie Gracie is like, yes, I get to go back to Seattle. Because Gracie Gracie was five years old when the family suddenly got all of this gold and all this wealth. She has a new bicycle. She has new dolls. She has new clothes. And so that was her biggest impression. She hasn't been back to the Yukon when I think she's probably seven or eight. and But she's always held on to this memory of wealth. Um, and her life in the Yukon is just not what she wants. So when she's invited back to Seattle... Um, she is there one month and then she gets knocked up by her stepmom's brother. Ah! And, um, has two more kids and is married and never sees her mother again. Sorry. (laughs) I really wish I was telling you something different. I'm just gonna return one more time to the final picture that you're not seeing of Shaw Claw. In 1919, she's visited by someone who I want to do more research on named um, Charlotte, Cla Charlotte Cameron, who is a an author and sort of an explorer, and uh, Charlotte Cameron is in the oh my god, what's the town that she's in? We're getting, it's okay, we're done. Um, she's so bored out of her mind, and someone's like, oh, you should go visit Shaw Clai, you should go visit Kate Carmack, the guy, the the girl whose like husband discovered the Klondike Gold Rush or whatever, and she goes to this woman's house, and she meets this woman who is so generous, so cool, shows her all these pictures of her time in San Francisco as the richest indigenous woman in the world. Um, She's got, like, portraits of the king and queen of England. Uh, She still has a gold watch, and uh, she sends her away. She's an incredible seamstress, and she sends her away with this blue handkerchief with hand-embroidered white flowers, and as Charlotte asks her like what do you miss about those days and she's like you know what i miss i miss san francisco and i miss port wine <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> thanks for listening <laughs>
1: That was the story of Shaw Tla, told by Tally Medell. Tally Medell is an actor, comedian, and dancer based in New York City. She's appeared on Inside Amy Schumer in Broad City. Tally is one third of the Cocoon Central dance team. You can follow her at Tally Medell on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Lion George! I should give all of my exes a title like that. That's beautiful. Owes me money, Jake. Never did the dishes. Brian cried when I didn't have an orgasm, Alan. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: Beautiful. Lion George. One hilarious element of Shatla's story that didn't make it in um is that when they were looking for gold, they ran into this white prospector named Robert Henderson, and he's like, I know where gold is, but I'm not gonna tell native people. And then four days later, Shatla and their company found gold near where Robert had been searching, but they decided not to tell him about it because he had been such a huge dick. Uh, so he missed out on the fucking
0: gold rush. Lesson here. Be nice. <laughs> be nice. Don't be a dick. Mm-hmm. Shaw's history is hard to trace. She didn't read or write English, so we don't have any accounts by her. As we mentioned, the accounts written about Shaw are mainly by white male historians who carry their own biases. But the way we tell Shaw's story is changing. She's got her own page on the National Park Service site. Ooh. In 2018, she was inducted into Canada's National Mining Hall of Fame. That exists. Hells yes. And her biography just came out. Big deal. Um, written by a lady called Wealth Woman, Kate Carmack, and the Klondike Race for Gold by Deb Vanessa. Buy it at your local bookstore. Not
1: on Amazon. <laughs> now, this has been another episode of Nevertheless, She
0: Existed. This wilty Florida Rose and perky California spittoon are signing off. And we're not asking for permission from our husbands first. Let's buy some land.
1: Hey, history hoes. If you love this show and want to support it, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. That helps us defeat the all-powerful algorithms in the patriarchy so more people can find out about us. Nevertheless, She Existed as a production of Caveat Media. It's produced by me, Kylie Holloway, and edited by Paula Pickren. Our executive producers are Kate Downey and Ben Lilly. Head over to caveat.nyc for live shows and coming soon, more podcasts. And if you like this podcast, please remember to hit that subscribe button and rate and review.
2: Subscribe!